lots of callers emailing me, texting me, calling me, saying, wow. Good day and welcome to Wheat Beats Word here on realagriculture.com for Wednesday, December the 12th. On this episode of The Word, a few things happening in the marketing world I think we need to look at. Then, some specific questions that have come in. Now, that's the real fun. It's a great thought process to go through and say, wow, in that scenario, what would we really do? And then, at the end, once again, more on dealing with Dawn in that constantly evolving corn world, Ontario 2018. All right, let's go. First off, yes, the markets. What a nice pop gapped higher. So we are actually looking at up to or close to $5 a bushel corn here in Ontario. That's, of course, considering you don't have problems with toxins in it, which is just one of those things we have to deal with. But $5 corn, particularly 2019 corn, very close to $5 a bushel. To me, that's sort of a trigger. If you don't have any done there, that's not a bad place to start. So look at that. Soybeans, also a nice pop. $12 new crop soybeans, 2019 soybeans in that $12 range. Again, sort of a target. I'd rather say $13, but I don't know if we're ever going to get there. Old crop soybeans over $11.50 a bushel, not too bad. And $6.50 wheat, which normally I would say that's awesome, but I know that everybody already has $7 wheat, so $6.50 is kind of like, yeah, nice pop, but no big deal. So, while Johnson is no marketing guru, just pay attention to those prices. I don't think that's all bad, given the scenario that we're in. Alright, next. Soybeans. Wow! I cannot believe lots of callers emailing me, texting me, calling me, saying, wow, finally finished the corn crop. Boy, does it feel good to have the corn all out of the field. But we still have just a whack of soybeans out there. Some growers still saying that they have 500, 600, 800, maybe even up to 2,000 acres of soybeans out there. And it's just unbelievable that we've struggled so to get them out of the field. What's really intriguing is that all of the soybeans left in the field or virtually all of the soybeans left in the field tend to be either IP soybeans or soybeans for seed. Almost all of the crushed soybeans got taken because we take them at high moisture. We get them out of the field. We want to plant wheat we want to get that job done ah you get to that ip world or the seed world and you can't combine them at high moisture so you, they're at 18 percent. yeah we could run but no we can't because we're going to lose the premium so what we end up with is those soybeans still out in the field and on that note i'm astounded talking to a grower yesterday out combining soybeans at reasonable moistures kind of in that 16 to 18 percent moisture lower than we would have maybe expected and they were getting accepted for the IP premium. That tells us that, wow, we must need those IP soybeans. They're going to have to dry them like an edible bean where they don't use much heat. And normally they wouldn't accept those high moisture soybeans pay the IP premium. But we must need those soybeans. The other thing. There was two inches of snow, so the grower actually had to tilt the header up, leave the two inches of snow, leave a couple of bushels per acre behind because we just couldn't get down into that snow, still getting, you know, over 50 bushels per acre. But what astounds me is that it was still a decent sample. It made the IP grade. They looked okay. I was really quite surprised at that. Scott, you make a really good point. There are seed soybeans. There are a few varieties that the companies are starting to say, hey, seed supply could be tight because a lot of those seed soybeans didn't get harvested yet. They're still in the field. Can they make seed? I think the answer is absolutely, but... 
we will need to do a vigor test. Remember, whenever I talk about seed, I always want that that seed to come off early. I want it to be the first crop that we harvest so that it doesn't go through all those wet, dry cycles and let the Phomopsis attack it. So it's not that they can't make seed, but we're really going to have to look at not only the germination on that seed lot, but also the seedling vigor because that's what tends to happen. The germination is okay, but the vigor of that seed really tends to drop off. So just pay attention to that when we're getting into these later harvested seed soybean samples. Donald, you're talking about trucks. Man, I can't agree more. Trying to find trucks to move the crop in Ontario is getting to be a horrendous challenge. Even labor, another grower that I talked to cannot get labor. We move up into the top end of Huron County, south end of Bruce County. There's no close cities really to draw labor from and $25 an hour no longer keeps labor. Now, Western Canada, they've dealt with this for a long time, but both transportation and it's partly due to the newer standards coming in around how many hours we can truck, all those types of things. There's going to be a session on that at the Southwest Ag Conference, but getting the commodity moved and finding labor, yes, those are two really big issues that agriculture in Ontario is facing. I don't have any good answers. Boy, if you do, leave them in the voicemail system attached. We'd love to hear what those are. Okay, we're going to move away from that kind of stuff and move into agronomy. First off, a caller saying, hey Peter, plow down clover. So I've already made the decision this fall, we plowed it down, but I really am intrigued. If I had have left that clover to spring and maybe even taken a cut of clover off of it, would it have made more nitrogen and given me more benefit? And so first off, it's really interesting work by Bill Dean where they looked at plow down clover and they actually didn't kill it. And whether they killed it with with a herbicide or they killed it with tillage, they didn't kill it until the following spring, kind of end of April time frame. Yep, they actually got more nitrogen fixed in the spring, so they transferred more nitrogen to that succeeding corn crop. Kind of another 20 or 30 pounds, depended on the year, but a nice little boost there from that nitrogen standpoint. Of course, the problem with harvesting that clover, taking a forage cut, yeah, clover's not that aggressive in the spring and it's really not ready to cut until probably the end of May. And so you give up so much yield by delayed planting that do you get more nitrogen? The answer is yes, but it's it just doesn't balance out. You just lose too much in that delayed planting from that standpoint. Remember that from plow down clover, we essentially give you a 75 pound credit. If that clover or that alfalfa, that forage crop is established and we leave it for a full year, we give you a 110 pound credit. So is there more nitrogen credit if we leave it? The answer is yes. But boy, leaving clover till spring, trying to kill it in the spring and still plant corn as early as we want to and not have rotten soil conditions, ah, it's just a tough one. It, it can work, but man, it rarely does that added nitrogen benefit balance off all the other hassles that come along with doing that. All right, Mike, you want to plant cereal rye still in your corn stock. So you're out there, you're going to broadcast on 40 pounds. I think that's awesome. And your question is, so Peter, have some fields that don't get manure very often spreading this cereal rye. Should I be adding phosphorus with it? Because, you know, broadcast phosphorus on soy next spring. Does that work or does that not work? And we know that cereals have that high demand for phosphorus. Absolutely, Mike. However, 
What I would say, broadcasting phosphorus this time of year, uh, it's just too much of an environmental risk. As much I would, as I would like the phosphorus to be there, you're spreading them on the surface, on the corn stalks. You're not incorporating the fertilizer. Stick with only the cereal rye seed. Even though you might see a little benefit, but it would be small from broadcast phosphorus. The environmental risk of that phosphorus moving into the watercourse simply too high. The other really interesting thing in your question, broadcast phosphorus on soybeans actually works reasonably well, which is weird because broadcast phosphorus on wheat doesn't work nearly as well as seed place banded, side banded, whatever. Broadcast phosphorus on corn doesn't work nearly as well as a two by two band. In fact, a little while ago, Greg Stewart, when he was the corn lead with the Ministry of Agriculture and Food, he's now the corn agronomist with Mazex. He had a, a kind of a little mantra that he said, death to broadcast phosphorus because it doesn't work on corn. Meanwhile, it does on soybeans. Why is that? It's because the soybean demand for phosphorus is way later in the year. They only need one pound in that first 30 days of growth. The soybean crop uptakes one pound of phosphorus. Corn is five pounds this is per acre. Wheat is 15 pounds. So the demand cycle is such that broadcast phosphorus on soybeans actually works. And so we can do it in the spring when that environmental risk is quite a bit later. Mario, you wanted me to give a quick update again on cereal rye and planting cereal rye and the yield impact on that soybean crop. So I did talk about this on previous episodes, but really quickly. What Mike Cobra and the group has found is that if we plant those those soybeans into a cereal rye crop and we have everything killed, so sort of between V1, that's first trifoliate, to V3, third trifoliate, everything is dead, the yield impact on soybeans is actually quite minimal. Now be careful because Jake Monroe, the soil fertility specialist, Brant County Soil and Crop, they found about a 10% stand reduction in the soybean crop when they planted into that cereal rye. So yeah, we're going to take less stand and soybean seeds expensive. And so if we could actually reduce our seed rate without cereal rye, that would be a cost savings. And we really haven't done that work to look at that, but that that is kind of interesting. But in that research, and Mario's question really was around a, a one pass versus a two pass herbicide program. If you spray and kill all the weeds at V1, first trifoliate, keep it clean until V3, the yield impact is really, really small. Having said that, Mike Cobra did a bunch of work last year and he saw a five bushel per acre yield increase to a residual herbicide prior to planting. Why did he see that? Because at V1, at that first trifoliate stage, it was raining. He couldn't get out there and spray at that particular perfect time. And then the weeds reduced the yields by five bushels per acre. So, so that V1 stage still is critical in soybeans. Different story in corn for sure. But V1 critical in soybeans. But man, if you get delayed, you get hammered. And don't forget, just spraying at that V1 stage with glyphosate, it's called resistance, resistance, resistance. We're going to just get more resistance. We do not want to go down that road. Okay, to the caller who, who left me a message about Graham Sate. So he's a soils guy out of Australia, actually New Zealand born, and he's got lots of different thought processes around soil health. And the, the caller said, I missed that session. Johnson, you missed that session. You missed an awesome session. And how come no one in Ontario is talking about the one in 1,000 or 4,000? Or is it four in 1,000? Well, gosh, I'm familiar with Graham Sate, but I am not familiar with this 
4 and 1000 or whatever that program is. So for goodness sakes, if you can get me more information, hey, I'm happy to look at it and I'm open to learning, that's for sure. Just send me the the link or the information. I looked on Graham's website. I didn't find anything about that program. Okay, look at that. That's 12 minutes in and by golly, that was 12 minutes actually of fun stuff. We're going to move back into the corn program for the last little bit of this particular episode. Let's start with leaving the corn out until next spring. And so Donald said, hey, Peter, you talked about the snow, but don't forget on sandier soil types in March, if the root system in that sand soil, the sand in the spring, the frost is coming out and it just sort of goes to soup. And if you're at that soupy stage and you get the big high zooming wind, guess what? Even though the snow didn't lodge that corn and the stalks, they're like trees. Yeah, the wind just blows the roots out of the soil and you get into a huge mess. And Donald, you're right. On sandier soils, that is an issue. Not so much on loams or on, certainly not on clay soils, but on, on lighter soil types, that is a problem. Next, Paul, you said, hey, talk to a guy in Pennsylvania. Down there, they have toxins as well. They have dawn problems, but they roast their corn and that's how they get rid of it. Well, stop, not wrong. Doesn't work, sorry. So what happens with roasting is it does not reliably reduce the toxins, particularly not dawn in the corn crop. What it does do is it increases the palatability even though the dawn remains in the corn. So you think that you fix the dawn problem because typically the pigs refuse the feed. They'll now eat that feed, but if there's other toxins in there, you can still get problems. Remember, it's an emetic. It makes them sick to their stomach. That can still happen. You can still get reduced feed intake, and if there's other toxins in there, like xeralanone, then that still causes problems in the breeding herd. So no, roasting not the solution to handle that dawn situation. So got this one off Twitter, and Philip says, hey, you're trying to destroy the corn. What about just throwing a match to it and destroying the corn that way? And no! Don't do it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. No, don't do it. So what's really interesting is that James Dick did some studies and you know, in terms of the BTUs out of corn kernels, wow, it's a really cheap heat source. If you have a corn stove, the only thing that's cheaper on a, on a BTU per dollar basis is natural gas. Burning corn is way cheaper than propane or oil. So if you harvested it and you had that corn stove, that would work. But man, if you burn it to destroy it, from Dave Hooker, Ridgetown campus of the University of Guelph, you would lose at least $100 worth of nitrogen and phosphorus in that smoke. And you also are polluting. There's nitrous oxides in there. There's sulfur oxides in there. That's all bad. And you're throwing away all that organic matter. So while Philip's argument would be that burning it from an economic standpoint is absolutely the cheapest way to destroy it, well, it might be the cheapest way to destroy the crop at this particular point in time, but it's costing you way more in terms of that nutrients that you you burn off into the air just don't do it another caller said hey you know this is awesome just destroy the corn the turkeys those wild turkeys are just standing at the edge of the field watching the combine go up and down and those kernels pour out over the back and as soon as the combine's gone they're running out there and just a feeding like crazy and come christmas time 
Yeehaw! Christmas turkey in the making. Yeah, well, I wouldn't argue with that. Just try catching those turkeys, man. They are hard. You said they roll over with a heart attack. Yeah, that doesn't happen with those wild turkeys, much as we might like it to, because it'd make a great Christmas turkey. Yeah, go to the store, buy them. It's going to be way, way easier than trying to catch one. They are just amazingly tough to catch those wild turkeys. All right, two other things. A caller said, hey, just combine it, run the cylinder super tight, grind all those kernels. Yeah, you could do that but wow what a lot of horsepower that would take it'd be like running it through a forage harvester but just a lot of lot of effort there and last combine directly into a vertical beater spreader that's kind of a cool idea to get the kernels spread back out the only problem is how are you gonna like the logistics of that because the, the auger goes out and all of a sudden this vertical beater spreader is just a pepper in the combine with kernels by the time you're done it's going to look like it's through a war and combines are too expensive ah, if you can figure out the logistics it'd work all right, look at that. Once again, I am out of time. That's it. That's all. On behalf of the team here at RuralAgriculture.com, this is Wheat Beat with the Word for Wednesday, December the 12th. Hey, leave us lots of questions so I'll have lots of those cool individual one-offs to talk about next week. And we will be back. Talk to you then. Have a great week. Bye now.